It's a blast from the past on today's episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. First off, we check into a hotel that was built in the 1960s, but everything is not as groovy as it seems. And then we travel to an orphanage in the 1930s where kids are being mistreated. They languish away on cots in the attic. Well, what happens when this orphanage is turned into a family's home? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Gardner. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having tons of fun out there in the world. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. First off, walking into Dead Rabbit Command is our newest Patreon supporter. He's the grooviest of all the babies. Everyone, give it up for William Kerman. Woohoo! Yeah! He's walking in. He's dressed up in his cheap Austin Powers costume. That's the only, like, that's the only past thing I can think of for some reason. I don't know, maybe William is dressed as a Roman centurion. But William, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. That's fine too. It's really groovy if you can. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That also really helps out a lot. Shagalicious. William, let's go ahead and get this episode started, this blast from the past episode. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way out too. Ohio. Specifically, we're going to head out to Southern Ohio. I know that's not super specific. You're like, okay, the bottom half of the state. Real great directions. It's the year 1996. I got this story off a website called Phantoms and Monsters. It's an amazing website. Link to the story will be in the show notes. In 1996 in Southern Ohio, there were two traveling workers that had to take care of some business in the area. They don't give their names. We're going to go ahead and call them the, the main character, the guy who told the story. We're going to call him Charles, and then he has a co-worker named Jake. And they're traveling through the area. They're doing their job. And then they decide to get a motel room. They're like, we've been working three days straight. The meth has powered us. But at this point, we probably should catch some Z. So they stop at this motel, and Charles said it was a small motel. He probably estimated around 30 rooms in this motel. And he goes, it was one of those that looked like it was built in the 50s. It was old-timey, not like super old-timey, not like swinging saloon doors and like a guy on the piano. Not not the 1850s, just the 1950s. The time of the Mad Men and uh, (laughs) building buildings. That's what they did back then. So this hotel seemed to be built in the 1950s. And Charles and Jake, they go to the front desk. They check in. Scribble, scribble, scribble. Right there, names down in the book, all that good stuff. And they get their key for their hotel room. And Charles goes, listen, I've stayed in a lot of hotels throughout my life. I kind of know what I want. I want a hotel room that's the farthest away from the uh, front counter. <laughs> it's really hard to smoke meth if there's a guy working right next to you. No, I may, I don't think he really specifies why he want it far away, but... You don't want cars pulling up constantly. It, it wouldn't make sense because that's going to be the busiest part of the motel is the check-in place. So get away from there. Anyways, he and his co-worker, they get the room farthest away from the clerk. It don't hurt his feelings when they walk in there like, we'd like a room, but nowhere near you. He's like, aw. 
They walk into the hotel room, and Charles is immediately struck by the fact that this entire room is retro. This entire room has been fitted with 1960s decor. Retro was a big thing in the 1990s. I remember it was like the 50s and 60s. Austin Powers obviously started uh, cursing the world with his presence in the late 90s. Nowadays, the retro movement is like 80s and 90s. But in the 90s, it was the 60s, all that stuff. And they walk in and he goes, it was odd. We weren't told that this was a theme hotel. But we walk into the room, everything's decked out in 1960s. The curtains... The furniture, the carpet, the wallpaper, everything. But it wasn't just that. He said he noticed two other interesting details that really sold the retro flair. One, the technology was also from the 1960s. So the phone and the television set. It's one thing to have shag carpets and... A groovy wallpaper, but I won't be able to pick up the phone. What's funny, in 1990s, we still had wired phones. I had wired phones. Some of them were cordless. If you were rich, if you had $100 to drop, you'd get yourself a cordless phone. But, you know, I want to watch television on a... Actually, in the 1990s, now that I remember, I also still had... We still had those big, thick television sets. So, really, the difference between a giant CRT television set and a wood panel TV on the... Those little wooden legs like you see from photos from the 60s. The picture quality would be slightly better on a, a 1996 television set. So it wouldn't be that big of a problem. But basically, you walk... It was weird, though. It was weird to see retro technology. The phone and the television and the fridge and everything. That was a weird detail. And it was also odd... This is super interesting, right? He kind of... I don't know if he realized all of this stuff right away. It could have been as time passed. He was kind of having this memory. I don't know if I'd be able to take in all these details right away. He walks into the room. It's 100% retro. Ceiling to floor. The technology is of the time period of the 1960s. And he said it, it was all new. It was all new. Now, I understand if you're going to put together a retro room, you're not going to have, like, cracked wallpaper, a busted-up couch. Remember, this is a, a, a motel in southern Ohio. This wasn't some museum piece. This wasn't something... This wasn't a set from a television set. I would, I would challenge you to go into a normal hotel today and find everything brand new. I, the telephones never work when I'm there. Actually, it's so funny now that I'm thinking about it. Don't most hotels, their phones are still corded. But anyways, he said everything looked new. Which is not what you would expect in a motel. Especially if everything in it is from the 1960s. Where did they get all this stuff? The retro thing was a retro craze at the time. But it would be expensive to buy a bunch of new or new-looking 1960s stuff just to decorate this tiny motel. And again, they were not told at any point it was a themed hotel. Charles and Jake, they walk into this room. Everything looked like it's right out of the 1960s. As they're walking into this motel room, the bathroom door opens up. 
the bathroom door opens up and Charles and Jake it immediately catches their attention. This is their motel room. There's not supposed to be anybody else in here. The bathroom door opens up and out of the bathroom steps a 20-something-year-old woman screaming her head off. She's absolutely terrified that there are these two gentlemen standing in this room. And it, it takes Charles and Jake aback, right? Obviously, they have no ill intentions. They are entering the room that they just got from the clerk. They turn this woman in her 20s, steps out of the bathroom, begins screaming at them, and they immediately leave. They're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And they immediately leave, and they're walking back to the clerk, and they assume that they've been double booked. I feel really bad about it, right? Nobody likes scaring. I mean, that's not true. I think it's kind of funny. But you wouldn't want to scare someone on accident. That's actually kind of funny, too. In this situation, you don't want to scare a random stranger by appearing in her room. We'll say that. I'll draw the line there. They feel bad about it. They're walking to the clerk's office. And they tell him what happened. Hey, man, I think you double booked us because we went into that room. And this woman came out of the bathroom and she's freaking out. And the clerk goes, no, that's impossible. Like, I believe you guys. (laughs) You guys are trying to get your money back in some weird scheme. I'll go check it out for you, but we only have three rooms checked out. There's no no reason why we would double book. It has to be an accident. So he returns to the room with Charles and Jake, and they walk back there. The farthest room away, the clerk knocks. Is anyone in there? Is anyone in there? There's no response. The clerk opens the door and steps into the room. There's no one there. There's no one there. Charles and Jake, they now step into the motel room. It's a completely modern room. Normal, bland wallpaper. Modern television. Modern phone. Modern everything. Clerk goes, no one's here. I don't know what that was. I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't even know how to explain that. Um, I hope you guys have a good night. And the clerk leaves. What's interesting is as Charles thought more about this experience, you know, everything happened so fast. When they walked into the room, the first time they were kind of able to take in what was going on. They noticed all of the designs were retro and the technology was retro. When the woman came out of the bathroom, it shocked them. They didn't expect anyone to be in there. But as Charles thought more about the story and was trying to remember what was going on, There was another peculiar detail. The woman who came out of the bathroom, her clothing was of the 1960s era with a hairdo to match. What's interesting about this? Let's take the story of face value, right? Let's say that him and Jake actually experienced this. This is something that is often implied with time slips, and we might have covered it once or twice. It's often implied with time slips, but it's never, it's rarely said outright. And it's that the slip happens both ways. This is actually how he ended his testimonial. Charles wrote, quote, I believe we stepped into a glitch in time that day. I often wonder if by chance some young woman was scared to death seeing a couple of strange-looking men in her room in the 1960s.
that would be her experience, right? It would be a time slip. She's in this super modern room. It has all the latest advancements in technology that a motel can afford. She goes to the bathroom and she's walking out now. She's done her business and there's just two dudes. There's two dudes standing in your room and you scream and they leave. And then you go to the clerk and you go, oh my God, some guy's broken. And maybe the police are called. Uh, maybe, right? Maybe the clerk is just like, well, it's so funny because see on our end, the way Charles is looking at it is he is looking into a knowable past. We know what the fashions, we know what the technology, we know what the decor looked like in the 1960s. So if you, you wouldn't press the issue. If you went into the room and you saw it was from the 1960s and then a girl from the 1960s came running out of a room and you ran away and then you came back in the room as normal, you could kind of understand that. You would think it, you would think it could be mental illness or a hallucination, but you could also go, oh, what if that was one of those time slips I've heard about? read about in the New York Times. They said, be careful this Thursday, time slips across the East Coast. But flip it around. A woman in the 1960s, if she saw two men wearing clothes from 1996, she would have... She would not be thinking, oh, these must be visitors from the future who are in my room. She would just see two dudes and freak out. It would be a totally different experience. Unless... They were straight up wearing like spaceman suits. If you came to your home tonight, you get off work, you come home, and there's a guy wearing like a lime green tie, blue jeans, and a t-shirt that says Poca Poca. You after you after you get done beating this guy to death with a baseball bat, well, you keep swinging and he's able to avoid you. He's super fast. And he jumps out the window and runs away. You would assume that guy was a weirdo. You would assume that guy was some sort of homeless bum who broke into your house. You would assume that... You would assume a hundred different things. But you wouldn't assume, oh, it must have just been a time slip. And that's how people will dress in the future. But to the person in the Poca Poca shirt, that's the newest craze sweeping America. When he came home to his house in the year 2045 and time slipped into yours, which is the same house, and he saw you walk in, he goes, well, that's weird. I I walked into my home and it had a bunch of technology from 2022. It was super weird. And then this guy came in dressed up and he looked like he was wearing clothes from 2023. And that bat definitely, that technology has never advanced much. It hasn't had to. And then I jumped out a window, and the next thing you know, was, you know what I mean? Like, the different versions. One person could go, wow, that was a really bizarre paranormal event. I slipped through time. But the person in the past seeing that would be like, oh my god, a bunch of weirdos. A bunch of weirdos just showed up in my room. It's a fascinating story because the time slip would work both ways. One person would have the privilege of knowledge to say that was just the time slip and the other person it's just a horrifying event some people they don't recognize in clothes they can't understand i mean these guys we don't know if these guys were wearing like flannel shirts and ripped jeans or they were wearing suits obviously they wore suits in the 1960s just the cut of the clothing just the material hairstyles all that stuff would look radically different you may and that's if they're wearing suits if they were wearing t-shirts with designs that no we don't know what they were doing for a living they may have been roadies they may have been traveling salesmen we don't know gutter installers their clothing 
could be not incomprehensible. It's not like you have a shirt that's the madness of Cthulhu, but you know what I mean. If you went back in time and you were wearing a shirt that had a picture of Bart Simpson, it's not like people would be like, I can't, I can't understand that their head would explode, but people would have a heart. They'd be like, yeah, it was some, this, this guy just was in my house in the middle of the night and he had the shirt on that said, don't have a cow, man. And it was this yellow kid. Like, I don't know what that is. I have no idea what that is. You'd have no, you'd obviously figure it was a drawing or something like that. You're like, I need my meds. I need my meds. I saw a drawing. Ah. Don't open the Sunday paper, ma'am. You, you totally lose your mind. But you know what I mean? The visuals, the clues. Fascinating. Fascinating story. Our fun time slip is another person's horrifying nightmare. William Kerman, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Southern Ohio. Fly us all the way out to the big city. How big of a city? Not for sure. Specific location? Not for sure. This story was posted online by someone going by the name Undercooked Band-Aid. They were actually told this story by their mother. That's who we're really interested in. She doesn't give her name. We're going to go ahead and call the mother Tracy. And this is Tracy's experience. It's a pretty cool story here. Tracy and her husband, let's call him Bill, are visiting a friend. A friend of theirs named Mary recently got married. And Tracy and Bill and Mary and her new husband and a score of other people are are all at Tracy's house for a housewarming party. She had recently moved into this new house. Everything's just going great for all of these young couples. They're starting life together. And as they're on the tour of this house, Bill starts to notice that Tracy is sweating. Her eyes are darting from side to side. He knows something's wrong with his wife, but he can't really figure out what it is. But by the time Tracy <laughs> by the time Tracy rolls down a giant set of stairs, hits the ground, and then jumps up and sprints out of the house, Bill realizes that something went seriously wrong. Somewhere along this tour, he didn't think his wife was capable of this. But after watching her fall down several stairs and then without wasting a breath, break into a full sprint, he follows her out of the house. When he gets out, Tracy is lighting a cigarette. A cigarette she always kept behind her ear, just in situations like this. Not stair-falling situations, but stressful situations. She always has at least one cigarette tucked behind her ear. And when Bill comes out of the house, Tracy is standing there on the sidewalk lighting that cigarette and taking a deep drag of it, trying to calm her nerves. And Bill is worried, really. That's the first emotion he can really think of. He walks up to Tracy, he goes, Tracy, oh my God, what happened? I saw you fall down the stairs and you just ran out of the house. Like, you looked like you were a little uneasy, but what happened? And Tracy turns to her husband and says, I never told you about the dream." When Tracy was a child, she had this reoccurring dream. 
didn't happen every night. But it happened. It repeated, and it was always the same dream. Tracy was in the dream. She she was a social worker. And based on the clothes she was wearing and the environment that she was walking through, Tracy, when she was awake, she kind of surmised that this dream took place in the 1930s. That would be her best guess. And Tracy is a social worker, and she's working in the old part of the city. At that time, it would have been the new part of the city. And her job as a social worker was to make sure that children were getting the care that they needed. She may be working in a home one week. She may be investigating uh, child abuse allegations another. And on this particular day, in this dream, it was her job to go check on an orphanage. And when this dream starts, she is walking into this orphanage. Tracy begins to make her way around the house. And there's this long staircase in the house. And she walks up the staircase. And it leads to the second floor. And then if you continue walking up the staircase, it leads to an attic. An attic, I think is how it's normally pronounced. An attic. It's that broom in the ceiling of your house. If you have no idea what word I'm saying, an attic. When Tracy continues walking up the staircase, she gets to the attic door and she opens it up. And inside she sees, as Tracy is walking up these stairs, she sees near the top of the stairs this giant stained glass window. She continues to walk up to where the staircase leads to a door that leads into the attic. And she walks up and she opens the door and almost in utter darkness was little kids on cots. She sees all of these orphans on these cots and they're pleading for help. They're malnourished. Visibly, you can tell that they're sick. They're also in the attic. I mean, that's a pretty good indicator that they're not being taken care of you have all these cots and all these kids and they're crying out for help and just at that moment the matron of the orphanage i don't know what the actual word is for that but the matron of the orphanage shows up and says oh my god oh my god you can't tell anyone about this room they'll shut us down and if they shut down the orphanage, then all of where where will the rest where will the healthy orphans go? Those healthy orphans, they have a chance. You don't want them out on the street. And Tracy is furiously scribbling notes in her pad. And she begins to walk down the stairs. She's like, No, I have to report you. What are you talking about? Like those kids are they're prisoner up there. And, and they're so malnourished. They're sick. They need help. Like we will work this out, but I need to report this to my superiors. And as she's walking down the stairs. She hears the matron of the orphanage hiss, You pig! And then she feels a hand push against her back. And Tracy begins to tumble down the long staircase. That's when she would wake up. Every single time, that's when the dream would end. And she's standing outside of this building smoking a cigarette. Her husband has never heard this story before. 
She never told him about the dream because it was a reoccurring dream as she was a child. But by the time she was a teenager, she stopped having the dream. Now she's in her early 20s. And it's not when when, when are you going to tell your husband about this? You never would have thought about it again. But now. They're standing outside the house. That Tracy had always seen in her dream. She goes, Bill, listen. When we walked into this house, I got this really weird feeling. I didn't know what, where to place it. I just felt weird. We're meeting all these really nice people. We're in the company of friends. But something fell off. But whatever. And then Mary says, Hey guys, I'm going to give you a tour. She showed us around. Everything was fine, but then... We got to the first step of that staircase, and I swear to God, Bill, I knew something was seriously wrong. We started walking up that staircase, and I saw that stained glass at the top of the staircase. When I saw that stained glass window, I knew that I had seen it before. And that's when it clicked. That's when it clicked. That's when I realized that this was the house that I I died in. Because in Tracy's view, that reoccurring dream, it, you know, it, as a child, you would have no context for it. You would think it was just a dream, but at some point, either because she had the dream so many times or because now she was in this building for real, Tracy started to think, this wasn't just a random dream. This was my past life. This was the building that I died in in a past life. But as she's walking up the stairs, as Tracy's walking up those stairs in real life and she sees that stained glass window, you still have to think, maybe this is just a coincidence. Maybe this isn't what I think it is. But when they go all the way up the staircase, and this is when Bill looks over and notices that Tracy's looking really, really sweaty, right? <laughs> that something's wrong with Tracy. But, I mean, he's not thinking. He's not thinking that she's in the home she died in over 100 years ago. Mary opens the door that leads to the attic, and now it's a room. It's not they've converted it. It's no longer a storage space just for all your junk. It's a room, and she goes, yeah, this place used to be the attic, but we've, we're turning it into another room. And Tracy looks into that room, a room that she had seen dozens of times as a child, if not more. She looks into this room and she sees in the corner of the room, stacked up against the wall, some old cots. Mary goes, yeah, the place used to actually be an orphanage a long time ago, back in the early 1900s. But when they moved out, they still had all this stuff in here. They even left these cots. At this point, Tracy's done with it. Tracy's, the tour is over for her. She's done. And she turns and she starts to walk down the stairs, very shakily walk down the stairs. 
And she has that cigarette out of the back of her ear. And she goes, I need to smoke. I need to get some fresh air and smoke. And as she's walking down the stairs, her husband, Bill, who's just confused. He doesn't know what's going on. He says to her, he says to her this exact quote as she's walking down the stairs reaching for that cigarette. Bill says, I don't like when you have that cigarette behind your ear. It makes you look like a pig. And when she heard that word pig come out of his mouth as she had her back to him, as she's walking down these stairs, as she needs to get out of this building, when she hears him say pig, she completely loses it. Like the last remaining grasp she had on reality just disappeared and she was free falling mentally and physically because once he said pig it was almost like a psionic blast she lost her balance and began rolling down the stairs in the middle of this housewarming party and when she hit the ground she took off running and that's when bill followed her outside and that's when she told bill about the dream now what i think is so fat i love this story I absolutely love this story. It's interesting on a couple different levels. One, obviously we have a reincarnation aspect to this. Which I don't think she ever really considered as a child. I, I think once the dreams stopped, she just stopped thinking about them. I don't think when she would wake up when she was seven or nine or whenever, however old she was, it started young and they went away before she was, uh, you know, got out of her teens I don't think she ever woke up and goes, wow, that must have been how I died in a past life. She may have had that thought, but it was probably just a weird reoccurring dream and she didn't know what it was. So you have that. And then when you visited the house in real life and you start to realize, okay, that wasn't just a dream. That 100% was some sort of past life experience. Like now I'm in that house that I dreamt about that I've never been to before. I'm not only in that house in real life, but I, it is confirmed to me that this house used to be an orphanage. Like, you're putting too many pieces together. She sees the cots stacked up as garbage. When she had this dream, she saw the cots laid out, and there were these little kids being treated like garbage. But what's the most interesting point? I mean, it's all interesting, right? Past life stuff, when it's cool, I find super interesting. Sometimes it's lame. Past life stuff is cool. I'm not a huge dream fan. But one of the details I like most about this story is the pig line. Because that doesn't even make sense. I mean, for the old lady to call her a pig and push her, that makes sense, because... The woman is trying to stop this from getting out, that she treats people this way. And calling a woman a pig is a fairly common insult, especially between women. But when we look at the quote of Bill, she has a cigarette behind her ear. She's walking down the stairs and Bill says, I don't like when you have a cigarette behind your ear. It makes you look like a pig. That doesn't even make sense. And Bill said... Like when they were outside and she told him this dream. And she goes, and then you called me pig and I just lost and I fell down the stairs. Bill goes, I don't even know why I said that. I don't, that he goes, I've, I've never said anything like that before. And it was the first thing that popped in my head. I almost didn't, 
It just, I just said it. I didn't think about it. I just said it. And it's interesting because it doesn't make sense. At all. There's never, I mean, like, unless I'm missing something, unless, I know I'm not a farmer, but unless I'm missing the fact that pigs walk around with cigarettes behind their ears, I, it doesn't make sense. I mean, he goes, I don't know why I said it, it just popped in my head and it came out of my mouth. That's super interesting because basically what we're doing in a way is recreating the crime when Tracy came back to this house. Who knows how many lives later, this could have been her second or she could have lived, you know, 20, 30 different lives. Who knows? Like reincarnation is one of those things I'm not completely sold on, but I don't completely dismiss either. But she's back in this house and she has a cigarette behind her ear and he says that and it doesn't make any sense. And it is almost like that psychic violence has spread across the decades with that when all of these things, when all of these pieces were back in order, he said what she said. He said what the old matron said. And instead of pushing her, it was just too much and basically like it knocked her down the stairs. Like a psionic blast, like something just erupted. It's fascinating. It's a super fascinating story. Uh, the daughter, you know, she's the one who's typing this out, but she went on to say that Tracy and Bill, my parents, never went back to that house. They never went back to that house. They still remained friends with Mary. I don't know of how many friendships end because someone lives in a haunted house. Well, it's not a haunted house, actually. It was really only haunted for Tracy and her horrific memory. She goes, they never went back to the house. They still remained friends with Mary. They never went back. But Mary continued to live in that house, happily married, and then less happily married, and then eventually things ended in a divorce. She was with her husband for about 10 years. They lived in that house. And then she left him. And shortly after that, her ex-husband killed himself in that very house. So is the house... I mean, you imagine a house... You imagine if any place is going to be haunted, it's a place with a bunch of dead orphans. And possibly a murder as well. It would be interesting that now that Tracy knew the house existed... Could she have gone back and found paperwork or found proof of like a social worker being pushed down the stairs, maybe dying at that house? Remember, she always woke up right when she was pushed, so she could have just fallen down a couple stairs and then said, I'm still reporting you. That shove of a few stairs will not stop me. She reported her, and then the orphanage got shut down. It's possible that she fell all the way down the stairs and died. It's possible that the orphanage, that she complained about the orphanage, but the city didn't do anything because the city's like, where else are we going to put these orphans? And it continued to operate into the 1950s. It's possible that she did report it and they shut it down within a week. We don't know. We don't know the city where any of this took place. Tracy could check this stuff out herself. But we're going to wrap it up like this. Would you want to know? On the one hand... We are paranormal researchers or aficionados of the world of the paranormal, if you're listening to this podcast. So you go, yeah, sure, I would totally want to know. If that happened to me, if I found out that my reoccurring dream was based on a real-life action and may have shown that I died in a past life, I'd want to know. And I think that's easy for us to say, not being the one shoved down the stairs. 
But let's put ourselves in Tracy's shoes here for a moment. Think of it like this. You now know your dream's real. You find out the name of the social worker who was pushed down the stairs and died. And it says in the article, like, she was survived by her four children. And it gives their names as well. And would you look those kids up? You know what I mean? If you saw, if you had proof that you died in a past life, as recent as the early 1900s, there would still be a bloodline for that family. Let's say she had four kids. Okay, that's a little high for the four, four kids and a social worker. But maybe, you know, the times are different back then. She has four kids. And then you find out that they all lived, you know, from 1930. They, they may still even be alive. They may be old people, but then they have families. And you have all of these kids and grandkids of a past life you living in your town. Isn't that weird? It's really bizarre to think about, and it almost may be better not to know than to find out that you were the mother of a girl named Daisy Adams. She was born in 1915. She lived to 1975. She had four kids of her own. And they're still alive. One of them runs a real estate division. One of them played a little bit of college football and then settled down. You'd be like, I have a family. My past life had a life. And had all of these kids and all of these relationships, and they're still living in my city, and I can look them up in the phone book. What do you do in that situation? Like the the past life, it's almost too close to Tracy's modern life. You know what I mean? Like it's one thing to say, Oh, I used to be an Egyptian princess. It's another thing to say, I used to be a plumber in the town that I live in now. And he died 50 years ago, and he had a family. So you would have two... It, that, it's super trippy. I think as, a, as an abstract guy, uh, removed from the situation, I would totally be like, oh, I wish the, person had, wish the person who wrote this out had told us what city it took place in. Maybe we could do a little bit of digging and find out more about this orphanage. But I also understand why you wouldn't want to reveal any of that information. On the flip side, I also realize... Why you personally, if it happened to you, you wouldn't want to investigate it. It's one thing to find out you were related to some serf. Not related. In a past life, you were a serf in medieval England. That's one thing. It's another thing to find out, like, your previous life died 10 years before you were born. And you know 100%, like, you know how they died... It was in this day, and you can find that person's death on that date in your local newspaper. That You know, and it's funny, now that I think about it, we don't know how close Mary and Bill and Tracy all lived together. It was close enough that you could travel there to reincarnate in, this, in such a short time period in the same roughly geographical location. It doesn't necessarily say they live in the same city, but it's close enough to visit. It's all, it's weird. It's the whole story super weird. And then the idea of the same word being used, calling them a pig. Like for a moment, was the husband possessed by this old lady? Or was it just such an intense 
moment in time that it may play out multiple times. That's another, we'll have to wrap it up like this. I keep going on. But when Tracy does inevitably pass away, what are the chances are that when she does, if reincarnation is true, if she does reincarnate, this won't play out again. Somehow, even that future version of Tracy will somehow be brought into that house. That's super weird. It's weirder than weird that I think about it. Like, her friend, who's a close enough friend that they're going to visit each other, buys the house that Tracy died in. Like, there's a lot of little pieces that have to fall into place. You're like, Jason, yes, because the story's made up. You could argue that, obviously, any all of this stuff can be made up. Every single thing we talk about can be made up. But if it's not made up, it's actually quite intricate. And super, I love this story. It's really, really cool. Did it, did she actually dream of a past life? And she had it multiple times. Why did the dream stop? Why did the fates lead Tracy back there? Why did her husband call her a pig? Why were the cots still there? You think you would throw them away, but was part of this whole intricate scheme to have her know 100% that this was the place? Was the other husband, the ex-husband's suicide, caused by dark spirits in this house? And more chilling of all is, will Tracy relive this in one way or the other in other future lives? No matter where she goes or what she does, in future incarnations, will she always be brought back to this house in one way or the other? Is it possible that this ex-orphanage wasn't just a prison for sick children but it's now also become a prison for Tracy herself is it possible that no matter how many times she lives and dies every incarnation of her will find its way back into the orphanage no matter what she does no matter who or when she is she will always find herself standing on those stairs. Just another prisoner of the orphanage. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>